service is full. Nine o'clock is full. And I just need some help out there so that we can continue to grow. And even the overflow facilities that we have here, great place to go check out worshiping. And I realize it's like, like, you know, we have our Valentine's banquet sometimes. I think we didn't have it last year. But when we do, you've noticed as well as I do that no one wants to be the first one to take their wife on the dance floor, right? No one wants to be the first one to go over to a new facility like the overflow venue and be the first one out there. And so let, let, let's, let's pray about what we can do because you'll see some tremendous improvements already in the balcony. Guys up there, you like the sound better? Okay, we put speakers in. They're looking at the same thing under the balcony to help folk there. A lot of things happening, and I'll just mention that to you. And uh, so you help us. Uh, bottom line is start building. If we dug and laid a foundation more, it's two years before we can get another new building. We have to continue to grow and fulfill our mandate and our purpose here. I don't know what that was, Brother Johnny, with the sound, but we're working on all of that. Kingdom keys to an abundant life that you can experience, say it with me, much love, many blessings, and shout it out, great. I'm not talking about ordinary favor, I'm talking about great favor. In this series, we're looking at things that cause doubt, and how to address it, and we're asking questions that the world is asking, because you don't really address issues unless you address the questions. God. And uh, then secondly, how about this one? Creation or evolution, which is the truth. Today, I want to talk to you about why you can believe the Bible is the Word of God. Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22. I won't even take the time to read it all. We've read it many times repeatedly throughout this year where the Bible teaches us we are to cherish His Word, listen to it, not let it depart, for it is health for our flesh. Health, the Hebrew word morpe means medicine. In other words, God's Word is a medicine to every part of our life. There's an answer in the book for every issue you will ever encounter in your life. We move on to that to find a man who needed help with his faith. Mark chapter number 9, the father of a boy that was possessed of a demonic spirit was trying to kill this boy. And you talk about a sad and deplorable place for a church to come to. That was where the church was then. The man said, I brought my son to your disciples, Jesus, but they could not cast the demonic spirit out. It's sad when you go to the church and can't get the help you need. And we're going to see that's all about faith in just a moment. And Jesus said, all things are possible if you believe. And the man, with great anguish, because the need was so great, cried out, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I think the King James says, help thou mine unbelief. Okay? So watch this now. Here, here's where it really starts getting tricky. I want you to see this. When do you become aware that you have issues with unbelief in your life? When? It's whenever you find yourself where this man was at. When a crisis develops, that's when you discover what's going on. As long as everything is rocking along, you can think everything is cool and groovy. You can think it's all good. You, th you can think, I, man, I've got so much faith. But let a crisis develop and the doctor look at the x-ray and say, hmm. And then turn around and say, I don't know how to tell you this and use the big C word. 
or your child in the middle of the night have to be rushed to the emergency room with an incurable disease that you didn't even know it had. Or you get a pink slip. And all of a sudden, faith becomes a very important thing. Now, I want to also point out to you that in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, the Bible says this about the Word of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. God spoke it, breathed it. It has the breath of God in it. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. Notice that, that word, every. Now go back to that other verse, the first verse, verse number six. See that word, all? All scripture, it starts with all, it ends with every. If you don't have all, you're not going to get everything you need. Okay? And so, Father, I ask you today to speak a word to us that will transform our lives. Give us insight. Help us to address issues of doubt we may not even know exist within us. Overcome these and turn these to faith. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Oh, I want to hear a better Amen. I want... Thank you. Romans 10 and 17. Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. Problem. Suppose the very word that you need that will build your faith, you have lost faith in its authenticity and credibility. This is what I believe is the result of the attacks the enemy has brought against the inerrancy of Scripture. And I think this is the product that has has produced the inability to believe that all of the word is inspired has produced a situation where we are not equipped for every good thing God wants in our lives we live beneath our privilege now having said that I want you to realize that sometimes doubt is there and you don't even know it's there this man found it out the hard way you don't know. Maybe before then, he was chairman of the deacon board. Tied every week, attended church every Sabbath. You don't know. But when he had a crisis, that's when he discovered there were issues of doubt in his life. The reason is, is you don't sometimes get to vote on the things you believe. Because the structure around you oftentimes determines what you believe by teaching you what you believe as soon as you're old enough to be able to receive any kind of teaching. Sociology, that's called being socialized into a certain context, our family of origin. Even if that is wrong and it's not truth, you do not, as it were, watch it close, without passion step back to dispassionately assess whether what you have been told is true or not. You just accept it. Mm -hmm. Some things your parents teach you, other authority figures teach you, you don't even accept. Over the years, as I've said, there has been quite an unprecedented attack against the inerrancy of Scripture. And you hear things like this, oh, the Bible collection of fables. 
equivalent to Greek mythology. You let that circulate out there long enough and questions arise, and here's what happens. If Grandma had a few questions that were not answered, those questions get passed on to Daddy and Mama. They get passed on to you, and they're never examined objectively to see if there's any validity to those questions. I personally believe that the attacks against the Bible have been focused on the wrong thing. Joke, okay, this is a joke. Pierre and Boudreaux went duck hunting. Boudreaux had one of the best duck hunting ponds anywhere in southwest Louisiana. And Pierre kept begging him, Boudreaux, Boudreaux, man, you and I, we done, we're the best buddies here. Well, you, you never take me to shoot them duck with you. What's, what's, what's up with this? And Boudreaux just never would take him. And finally said, all right, Pierre, that it's true you are you're, 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 you're my, 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 my bud. And, and said, at 4.30 in the morning, not 4.30, 4.30 in the morning, you be at my house and said, we're going to go out to them duck blind and we're going to shoot them duck. 4.30, Pierre is there. They're getting the bato, the piro, that's, that's the little dugout, and they go to their, li their little boat, and they go to the blind. There's three of them. There's Pierre, there's Boudreaux, and there's Lucille. Lucille is Boudreaux's train retriever. And the sun comes up, and the ducks start flying, and one comes nearby, and Boudreaux gets down on that call. And that duck cuts cups its wings, comes gliding in. When it gets over that pond, they both raise up. Bam, 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 bam. Duck hits the pond. That's one for the gumbo tonight. <laughs> Lucille jumps out of the blind to go retrieve the duck. But to Pierre's amazement, she doesn't swim. She walks on the water. Grabs the duck, turns around, walks back, gets in the blind. And Pierre is flabbergasted. His eyes are open. His jaw is hanging wide agape. And he looks at Boudreaux, and Boudreaux's scanning the sky, looking the other direction, ignoring Pierre. And Pierre said, I done wonder if I done dream this, imagine this. That dog done walked on water. I'm going to ask my friend Boudreaux. But another duck comes in, and Boudreaux gets in. And gives him that turnaround call. I know how to do that stuff, believe it or not. That duck comes gliding in. And they raise up, bam, 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 another one for the gumbo tonight. And it happens a third time. And finally, Pierre can't contain it anymore. He said, Boudreaux, he said, I done know them duck be flying, but he said, I got to find me an answer to this dilemma. He said, I don't know if I done imagine it or if it's real, but every time we shoot a duck, Lucille, that retriever of yours, it, it jumps off in the water instead of swimming, it tiptoes and walks across the water and gets that duck and brings it back. Now, I want you to tell me, am I imagining something or is it really like I done thought I saw? <laughs> and Boudreaux shakes his head and said, Pierre, I know we're friends. We've been friends for many years, many years. And he said, that's why I never want to take anybody duck hunting with me. He said, that dog Lucille done embarrassed me more than never I told you. <laughs> All these years, I've never been able to teach that dog how to swim. Now, between me and you, if I have a retriever that can walk on water, I don't care if it never learns to swim. You get my point? And between me and you, they're always worried about little dotting of the I's and crossing of the T's. But if the Bible brings me healing and salvation and help for my marriage,
Pierre would say, you done got my point, eh? Ashe? Okay. I think you have to weigh in the evidence when we look at Scripture that they're placing the emphasis on the wrong thing. First, let's look at the argument that many have made concerning the accuracy of the translations of the Bible. One reason we're told you can't believe the Bible is it's not accurate. The translations are not correct. Who knows if they are? That's what we keep hearing. How many of you have ever heard this argument before? Come on, let me see. Look, every hand in the building. Sure you have. And up until 1947, they could make that argument, and there was some validity to it we didn't know. Because you see, the ancient Hebrews, they have such a regard for the Scripture that when the, their, their scroll becomes damaged, they don't leave it at church like we do and forget to take it home, like we do our Bible that gets worn out. They literally conduct a funeral and bury their Bible because they say God and His Word are inseparable and the Word is a living thing. It's alive. Oh, that's powerful. You pick up that book, it's not something dead. It's, it's alive. Amen. It's got spirit in it. That's what it means to say it's God-breathed. It has spirit in it. So there were no, very few remaining, I said no, very few remaining manuscripts of the Old Testament. Especially when you consider Israel's warlike past. The nation was destroyed in AD 70 by Titus, the Roman general, after he besieged Jerusalem. And, I mean, they burned everything. So not only were there very few manuscripts left of that, there are very few ancient manuscripts left from anywhere, anything, back in those days. And then in 1947, a little Bedouin boy, on the shores of the Dead Sea in a little area called Qumran, which is where John the Baptist came from preaching the gospel when he first baptized Jesus. John came out of the wilderness, uh, in the wilderness preaching. That's where he was at. A little Bedouin boy taking care of his family's goats looked up and saw a hole in the cliff many, many feet above. And I've been there, Jerry, and I've seen this together. And he started tossing rocks through it. What he didn't realize was this was a cave that had been walled over that over time eroded and the hole reappeared and started getting bigger. And he roped that little hole with a rock and he heard the, the sound of pottery breaking. And it scared him so bad. He was 12 years old. He thought he had found the home of a demonic spirit upon hearing the pottery. This was his logic. The only thing that can live in that whole way up there is a demonic spirit, what they call a jinn. So he said, I done broke some of his stuff. He's coming to kill me. He ran home terrified, told his family they spent the whole night awake, the little village did, living in tents, terrified that this demon was going to come. When it didn't come the next morning, the guys got together and said, there's only one reason he didn't come. He must be on a journey. So let's go to his house and steal what's in his house, and then we'll move and relocate the village. We live in tents. I'm not making that up. This really did happen. That's exactly the way it happened. They, they went, and they found within that cave, they enlarged that opening, that had been walled over, and they found all of these jars filled with scrolls, pottery jars, including the almost complete book of Isaiah. And I've been to the shrine of the book, Jerry, you remember that? To the Bible in Jerusalem, Israel, that has the entire scroll of Isaiah there. And not only that, many, many, many other copies of the Old Testament books. And suddenly, for the first time, we could now definitively say with conviction we have accurate translations of the Bible. You see, up until then, all that we actually had, ladies and gentlemen, we had a few manuscripts. We had copies of the, the Greek translation called the Septuagint, the old, which is three centuries before Jesus was born, the Samaritan Pentateuch, 
and the Targums, which were ancient paraphrases of the Old Testament, as well as the Talmud, which is the teachings of the Old Testament, the, a separate book that the Jews compiled. And though they all agreed in e with everything that our Bible says, scholars still said that's no proof that the Bible has not been incorrectly translated. But when they found the copies of the actual Old Testament books, they couldn't say it anymore. All of a sudden they found out there is no difference. You know what they discovered? That those writings are 99.5% exactly what we have in our Bible. And the only differences that account for the 0.5% are that some words were spelled a little differently or there was a dot in a different place or a comma, the equivalent of a comma in a different place. Without exception, there has not been one single place they have found where the content and the meaning was changed. Not one. Somebody in the building ought to say amen. And so, I realize that you'll probably never take the time to research this like I have, but everybody knows Uncle Joe, right? You know, Uncle Joe, he, he thinks Goliath is the one that parted the waters of the Red Sea. He's everybody's uncle that knows everything. That whenever you talk about God to him, how do you know those translations are right? He's got all these arguments from the one book that maybe he's read in his whole life. Where somebody attacked the Bible. You say, you're making fun. You're mighty right I'm making fun. They make fun of us. So I, I'm going to tell you, everybody knows Uncle Joe. You got one in your family too. Armchair Bible theologians. Amen. They don't know Genesis from Revelation, but they can sure tell you that the Bible is incorrect. Because they read a book of all these inconsistencies many years ago and don't even realize that since that book was published, these so-called inconsistencies have been proven to be incorrect. Look at the New Testament. You know how many copies remain of the New Testament right now? 5,000 Greek, 8,000 Latin, 1,000 others in languages such as Syriac and Coptic. That's 14, over 14,000 different manuscripts of the New Testament. There is no other writing in history that has this many copies remaining. You always read about, how many of you had to read the Iliad? The Odyssey. Come on, remember those? Didn't that excite you? Bored me to tears. I just reading about Jason the Argo and the Golden Fleece. You remember all that stuff? That's mythology. Let me tell you how many copies of those books remain. Because they accept those books and the accuracy of their translations without ever questioning them. You know how many copies of Homer there are? 643. Herodotus, 8. Euripides, 9. Plato, 7. Aristotle, 5. Caesar, 10. Tatticus, 20. Not once do they ever question the validity of those translations. Yet, look how few copies there are. And we have 14,000 of the, of the Bible. Somebody in the building ought to shout hallelujah right now. Amen. Next, consider its historical accuracy. And I'm going to run through some of this, and some of this is going to be boring to you. But please, I love preaching inspiration, but I want you to know that Uncle Joe was wrong. Okay, here's the thesis that if this is God inspired, history is actually the combination of two words, his story. 
If the Bible is not correct historically, how can it be correct spiritually? Or in any other way? If this book truly claims to be God-inspired and events in history turn out to be different and other than what the Bible said they were, then we have a serious problem with even what the Bible says concerning the things that have to do with our soul and eternity. That's one of the biggest arguments that have been, down, have been made down through the ages is the Bible is incorrect historically. And then as archaeology started to really take off 150 years ago and then accelerated and they have made more and more discoveries, guess what? Every single argument they have made about the so-called and supposed historical inaccuracies in the Bible, guess what? They've proven those to be wrong. I'm going to give you just a few grapes in Egypt. You remember Joseph was cast into the dungeon, sold into slavery by his brothers, went to Potiphar's house, betrayed by Potiphar's wife, cast into the dungeon. And while he was there, the baker and the cupbearer for Pharaoh were also put in, in prison. And they both dreamed dreams. And Joseph interpreted the dreams. To paraphrase, the cupbearer dreamed about pressing grapes, putting this into Pharaoh's cup and giving it to Pharaoh again. And Joseph said, that means that you're going to be raised up out of prison. And once again, you're going to be his cupbearer. You know what? They said, that right there proves in the very first book of the Bible that the Bible is incorrect. You know why? Because there were no grapes in Egypt. The, Greek, uh, the, the Egyptians had not yet discovered grapes. And you know who said that? Herodotus, who lived several centuries before Christ. Well, obviously the man was right. And then they started excavating all these tombs, and guess what they found painted on the murals on the walls? They found Egyptians tending vines in vineyards, harvesting and crushing grapes, making wine, and some of the scenes even showed them at parties being intoxicated. Grapes in Egypt? Proof the Bible was wrong? No. The problem was is that Greece was so far away from Egypt that Herodotus thought he was telling the truth, but wasn't. And then you look again. Remember why the Israelites wanted out of Egypt? They were made into slaves. They were building cities for Pharaoh. And they cried out, and God heard them and stopped Moses at a burning bush and said, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And when Moses got to Egypt, this is what, he, what happened. He told Pharaoh, this is what God said. And Pharaoh said, sounds to me like these slaves are not working hard enough. Up until then, they had been giving them straw to mix with clay that they put in the kiln and baked to make bricks. Pharaoh said, stop giving them straw. Let, they go, let them go collect their own. The names of these treasure cities are even mentioned in the Bible, Exodus 1 and 11. They're called Python and Ramses. Right there. Amen. These were the cities that they built, among others that they built, as the treasure cities for Pharaoh. But in Exodus 5, verses 10 through 12, Pharaoh said, no more straw. I'm not going to give you any more straw. You'll get your own. And then after they ran out of straw, they started using stubble, which is the, 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 the rest of what's left after you cut the, the harvest the wheat and the barley. It's like hay. And they, the scripture says they started using stubble. Then they ran out of that. Guess what happened? In 1983, Dr. Edward Novel found the city of Python, one of the cities built by Israel, the very one that I just showed you mentioned in the Bible. And when they started examining the ruins, guess what? The bricks up to a certain level were made, are you ready for this? With clay with straw in it. After a certain level, it was clay, straw, and stubble. 
After a little more, it was clay and stubble. And after a little more, it was just clay. It is uncanny how accurate the Bible is. Just as Pharaoh had said, no more straw, go get your own. And then when they ran out of that, go get stubble. That's exactly the way the walls were built. Then they start talking about the passage of the children of Israel through the Red Sea. You really want to make somebody laugh? Bring up that story. Until 13 years ago. And then they have discovered, as archaeologists have explored, a whole trail of artifacts. Hebrew writing. Hebrew ornaments. Different things from Hebrew uh, days of antiquity and yore. And they have actually found and followed this path, and it's like a trail. And it leads, because you can imagine, two and a half to three and a half million people, somebody's going to drop something along the way. And they have followed this, and they have found the exact trail the children of Israel took out of Egypt, and it wasn't even where they used to think it was. And they found where it came to the Red Sea. And on a lark... They sent divers and even submersible cameras down exploring. Guess what they found? Put it up there if you would, please. Carl encrusted chariot wheels. And not only chariot wheels, the coaches of chariots. Look at this next one. This one is gold because no Carl could even attach itself to it. Move on to the next one. This is a chariot axle standing on end like this with a wheel up here and the wheel down here. These are not doctored photographs. These are actual photographs taken under the Red Sea. And not, this is not all they had. They found many of them. Many of them. They even have photographs of guys standing in Egyptian chariots under the ocean. Divers, I mean, by the, when I say guys. Okay? Not, not any of Pharaoh's army is still around. Right? <laughs> Why am I mentioning this stuff? Because everybody ridicules this and says, ah, there's nothing to it. And then they find something that proves the Bible was correct. Come on, is somebody giving some praise right now? Do I need to tell you about the Hittites? They said there, there's no such people. That's what scholars said. Because the only place Hittite is ever mentioned is in the Bible. No other historical rec- records exist. Hittites stood between Israel and the promised land and said, you can't pass through our land. Uriah, the Hittite that David sent to be killed after he betrayed him with his wife Bathsheba. And scholars said, that right there is enough to prove that the Hittites are just a figment of their imagination. The Bible is nothing more than Hebrew mythology, just like the Greeks have Mount Olympus and their gods. You know, you have all of these gods up there on Mount Olympus. Hercules and the others, okay? Really? Mm-hmm. And then George Smith, an assistant with the British Museum, began a study of the monuments at a place called Jerobus in Asia Minor, which is that little section right there of the Middle East. And guess what? Upon excavating, he found ancient clay tablets that proved that that was the ancient city of Charchemish. Guess what it was? It was the capital of the ancient Hatti. Guess what that cap- tablet went on to describe the Hatti as being? You got it. The Hittites. And once again, to quote that famous theologian queen, another one bites the dust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
The Bible mentions King Sargon in Isaiah 20 and 1 at the siege of Ashdod. Sargon, the king of Assyria. There was no documentation that he existed. And then they discovered, again, Dr. P.E. Bota uncovered the tremendous royal palace of Sargon with documents there, clay tablets inscribed that describe the very battle you're reading right there in the book of Isaiah. And one, I'm not even going to try to answer every objection. I'm giving you some of the most notable ones that so-called scholars have used to disprove the word of God. And then there is the flood. Did you ever hear the Babylonian flood tablets? Everybody laughed at the flood. What you need to know is the same George Smith assistant to the British Museum, uh, at the British Museum of Natural History. What you need to know is that he found and located in their own display the Babylonian flood tablets. You know what they describe? They describe God speaking to a man to take his family and build a boat and take animals from all living and put them in the boat because a flood was coming. And that flood came, it rained. The flood stopped and he sent out a dove I'm talking about Babylonian writings now. I'm not talking about Christian. I'm talking about the enemies. If you know anything about the Bible, Babylon has always been the arch enemy of the nation of Israel. And yet, their own records corroborate and affirm the story of the Bible. Some of these ancient stories even use the name Noah. But that's what you're not hearing. I dare you to get on the internet and look up some of this. I dare you to make the hair stand up on the nap of your neck. It will. It will give you goosebumps to see how accurate the Bible actually is. Amen. Moving on from that. The ancient ruins of Jericho are another proof. Jerry and I have been to this one also. Jericho, the Bible says there was a woman called Rahab the harlot that lived on a house on the wall. Scholars said impossible. No one in their right mind will build a house on the wall because that is a place where security can be breached. They would not have allowed it. Nowhere do they find anything like that until they went and excavated the city of Jericho. They found it. Jerry and I have been there. You can go visit it. Some of you probably have. The walls collapsed outward strangely. The Bible says Israel marched around it six days. On the seventh day, marched seven times, blew the trumpets. The walls collapsed outward. Now, this is what is amazing. When they excavated, they found out that Jericho had a double wall, two walls running parallel. Guess what they had built in the wall between the walls, wall to wall? Houses. Just like the Bible said. Somebody in the building needs to shout hallelujah. <laughs> they even criticize the New Testament. Acts 13 mentions the proconsul, which is the Roman governor, his title, on the Isle of Cyprus, which is a country in the Mediterranean. His name is Sergius Paulus. Skeptics said that right there is a mistake because no other place in the Roman Empire did they have a proconsul also serve as governor. They gave him the wrong title. And if they say, that proves that Luke didn't know what he was talking about when he wrote the book of Acts. And then they discovered coins in excavating the, 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 the Isle of Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. Guess what they found? They found coins with the picture on it of a man and underneath Paulus the proconsul of Cyprus and another one bites the dust yeah. uh -huh. you see my point here 
you want to look at some really weird things. The ancient Chinese language, we know the whole world spake one language at one point, but then at the Tower of Babel, their languages were confused. I, I could show you the Chinese characters for tower, and a number. I, I'm going to just show you a few. I won't even show you that one. I'll let you look that one up yourself. I want to show you a few of the Chinese characters. We use letters in writing of the alphabet that spell word. The Chinese don't. They use pictograms that when you put them together, make objects. And that's how they communicate. Look at what they're... <laughs> this one is for boat. This is the Chinese word boat at the top. You see that? If you look at it, you will see it's made up of the three components at the bottom. One is vessel, which is small ship. The other is the number eight. And the other is people. Their word for boat is eight people in a ship. Anybody ever read the writings of Peter, how God spared eight souls in the flood? What's this one? You think, oh, that's coincidence, Pastor. That's got to be coincidence, is it? Look at the one for Gordon here. That's the symbol at the top is the one for Gordon. It's made up of four characters that you'll see underneath it. The one on the extreme left is dust, breath, two persons, and enclosure. Put those together. God took the dust breathed into it, made two people, and put them in an enclosure, and that's their word for Gordon. I'm not making this up. I got it off the internet. All I did was cut and paste. You can too. Amen. Look at the word forbidden. Sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody here. The word forbidden is the one at the top. The Chinese word forbidden is when you take the symbol for two trees and put it together with God. Okay, next couple of ones I'm going to show you are going to be a little bit sensitive. You say, two trees. You see, many Christians don't even realize in the garden there wasn't one tree, there were two. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Put it together with God and you have the word, no, forbidden. Okay, what happened in the garden? Okay, amen. What happened in the garden is that the woman saw the tree and the fruit was good for food and it was desired to be to make one wise. Look at the word for desire in Chinese. Two trees plus the symbol for woman is their word for desire. Is that crazy or what? You can, uh, I, again, I, I, I cut and pasted. That's all I did. I, didn't, I can't write Chinese. I just got it right off the internet. You can too. Look at the word for devil, how you make the word devil. You take the symbol for secret and man and garden that is alive. The secret man in the garden that was alive is the devil. How many people were in the garden? Three. Adam and Eve and the devil. Now then, how about temptation or tempter? The devil tempted them. Watch this one. Put the next one up. You take the symbol for devil... Put him with two trees under cover, and you have the word for tempter. The devil by the two trees under cover. Lord, have mercy. It's uncanny when you look at what the scripture actually teaches. Stand with me across the building because I'm done. You can believe the word of God. 
life application points. Remember that His Word is forever settled in the heavens. You can trust God. Come on, somebody give Him some praise. You can trust God. Come join me. I want to pray with you right now. We're going to conclude the service today. Life application point number two. How do you apply what I'm teaching you today? Begin to grow your faith by rejecting your doubts. I want somebody to just say these words with me. Today. today. Come on, say it out loud. Today. today. I'll reject my doubts. I doubt my doubts from here on out. I'm not listening to doubt anymore. I'm rejecting my doubts. I'm growing my faith. Number three. How do you apply what I'm teaching? Test God's word. Don't take my word for it. Try it. All you've got to do is give him a chance. God's word is real. He's a healer. He's a prayer answer. Our God transforms lives. Yes, he does. Life application point number four. Don't ever live less than being totally committed to and trusting in Him. You don't settle for less than what is your blood-bought privilege as a child of God. You don't need to live without the things that Jesus died at Calvary to bring into your life. Your family doesn't have to do without. You don't have to go through hell in, in this life. Your marriage, your home, your finances. I want to say it again. I began today by telling you that when you discover that you have a problem with doubt, it's not in good times. It's when times are bad. And that's when you need God to help you. And you're like the man on the side of the mountain. Lord, I believe, but help me. Don't wait till then. Resolve these questions in your mind and make a decision to open your heart to fully embrace God and His Word. And don't let all these people tell you that they've proven anything to be wrong because they haven't. Every single time they thought they had, they were the ones proven to be incorrect. And after a while, you would think that somebody would wake up and say, all right, enough already. I'm tired of being made a fool out of. I'm going to just believe the Bible from now on. But the enemy is so persistent that he doesn't quit. He keeps trying to undermine our faith. And today, with your hands raised, I want to pray for you. I release in this house today faith. Faith. Faith to believe for the impossible. Faith to believe for transformation. Faith to believe for the supernatural. Faith to believe for healing in marriages and deliverance from addictions. Faith to believe when the boss shows up and says, I'm letting you go. Here's the pink slip. Faith to know that the boss was never our source, that he was only a resource, but you are our source, God. I release faith today for lives to be moved to another level of power and dimension and authority, for ministries to be unleashed. I release faith that our worship 
can get kicked up to the next level. Because you see, as long as there's one little nagging doubt in anybody's mind about whether this Bible is really true, how can you worship God fully? How can you give yourself completely to someone you have doubts about? Would you lift your hands and let's just tell him, I love you, Lord. I put my faith in you. Sing it. I believe you. 